your kids' future. Just imagine how things have changed since we were kids. Or oh, anybody yeah. was kids. Um, mm-hmm. This says young people want a Jetsons future. My question to Wes and them was, are the Jetsons even a thing that they know about? The Jetsons was a cartoon show that was futuristic, and they were flying around in little cars. And What else did they have that were advancements in technology that seemed absurd at the time? Uh, they had uh, the robot maid. They oh, had yeah, yeah. Uh, big uh, computer monitor screens, and they were uh, they had they worked by punching a lot of buttons and data entry. They had they had robot fighting. They had like a a robot football <laughs> uh, league. I wonder uh, who wrote that show. Do you know? Uh, it was the Hanna Barbera people. So right. I don't know who exactly wrote it. My and but what I love most about it is the theory that it's. Uh, a post-apocalyptic future, and it happens at the same time as the Flintstones, who are the ones that have to live <laughs> on the ground. Because, uh, yes. you know, all the Jetson stuff, they lived on these big uh, apartment oh, yeah. blocks on giant stilts above everything. And so the theory is that you know, the apocalypse happened, the Jetsons are the ones who came out okay, and the Flintstones are the ones who didn't, and they're living with a bunch of mutant animals trying to recreate the technology they've heard about. So cavemen to the future. Yeah. yeah. Take your choice Same on how time. things work out. Your children want a Jetsons future. Cars with no drivers. Uh, they want everything brought to them by drone drop. Robotic appliances, e-bikes, e-scooters, e-skateboards. I guess the E stands for electric. Um, the future is here, it says. Um, Fortune 500 and their CEOs were gathering the past couple of days along with a uh, this kid who is 27 years old, a tech billionaire, and they were playing with the toys they know that the kids demand. Demand is the wrong word to use, kids. Parents don't like that. Don't demand anything from mommy and daddy, because you won't get it. If you ask nicely, maybe. GM's self-driving car, a picture of this thing. Uh, they brought that to this little meeting they had the past couple of days. They will soon, or we will soon cross two key milestones in electric cars. A concept that I, uh, some years ago, I thought about it, how I thought about compact discs. What a joke. It'll (laughs) never work. I call that one right, huh? Uh, The thing is about this, you assume that they cost a ton of money. And the idea of having to stop at a charging station to get it filled up, if you will, Mm-hmm. Uh, the point is here, they're going to get cheaper. GM is partnering with Honda to make EVs under $30,000, and they'll be easier to use, whatever that means. New funding for these stations will put chargers in big cities across America. But if you live in the hills of Kentucky, you're going to have a tough time getting around, right. finding some place to charge up your car. Uh, other, uh, also coming to us are endless vending machines. Um, the tortoise is one of them, a vending robot that is the future of how we buy stuff. It rolls up, you scan to pay, then it opens up to reveal your goodies. In this case, insomnia cookies, whatever that means. I'm guessing it's full of some kind of CBD or something. The robot is not autonomous. It's controlled by a remote operator in Mexico City. Hmm. What does that mean? The tortoise founder told Axios um, that this thing is ready to go. 
and they will uh, be having it, uh, I guess, rolled out, if you will, in various places. Right. Virtual reality is getting more powerful. We can soon live, work, and play in these headsets, attending conferences and entering video gaming universes in our own homes. Uh, there's a place called Accenture, a consulting firm with more, well, they have employees over half a million. Uh, and, they, and they keep hiring people because they know this is where the world is going. What, um, young people really are attuned to this. They want the future. They want drones. They want cars that are electric. Smart cities and crypto are all popular with this demographic. Older folks, I'm thinking not so much. Uh, but they're going to, there's a company called Bolt. Uh, the CEO told um, his company that it'll be possible for almost any company to accept crypto as payment for buying stuff online. And his employees only work four days a week. Um, so this is going to be where we're going. And this just crossed my mind, too. I was in a grocery store yesterday. And as you're walking out, they have that place where you can put your change in and get money back and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. There was also a machine in there. And I should have stopped. But I don't stop. I keep walking as fast as I can to get away <laughs> from people. And But it was a crypto machine of some kind. Now, I don't, I can't imagine the purpose of it in a grocery store. Anybody have any thoughts on why it's there? Not unless it's to convert cash into crypto. Maybe, but why would you do it there? Because you can't buy your food with cryptocurrency yet. Well, no, but that's not going to stop the grocery store from putting, you know, devoting some floor space to a machine they think they might make some money off of. Yeah, so you put in $10 one. and suddenly you have invisible money on your phone. I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't seen should've one. So. Should have taken a picture have, of it. I know. That's my next move. <laughs> I should have been paying attention more. That's the future, boys and girls. And yeah, crazy. Yeah. Our children were, you know, I mean, that's way past us, I reckon. But uh, it, it's. I still, you know, I, I don't know. It's got some work to do. There's, we ain't there yet. The, uh, the thing with the e-cars and the charging stations is what is you hit on the biggest problem right there because the price on these cars has come down they're not uh, outrageously expensive they're pretty dependable but there's in the u.s three different kinds of charging ports that these cars use depending on the yeah. company mm. and it's like an apple uh, phone charger won't work oh, right. on, on a samsung phone it's the same way with some of these car manufacturers so any place that sets up a charging station has to accommodate all three of them if they're going to make anything. And there's places, there's, I, I saw a short documentary on this last week, and there's, like, you can't drive from this place in Texas up to Colorado because your charge would run out and there's this gap of charging stations. So you would just be stuck. Ah. So until there's enough charging stations around like there are gasoline stations, the e-cars the e are not going to be the thing to use. They're not going to be a default choice by any means. Yeah, don't, don't try to drive across Texas in one of those things. <laughs> right. Because there are parts of that that are so, it is wasteland. Like out there by, in, in the, I guess the western part of that state, you can drive for miles and miles and miles and see nothing. So that might be a challenge. Uh, yeah. Bill Gates, on that note, this story is too long to get way too into, but the things that he predicted 30 years ago 
this is why these people are billionaires and because of their brains and because they are visionaries and they seem to be right a lot of the times um, he many of the gadgets we enjoy today he predicted back in 1994 is that right said this piece says yeah that's what this says like contactless payments on our phones and TV shows on demand um, <laughs> who'd the, have thought yeah the presentation looked forward to what might exist in the year tw- 2005 and most of the predictions were spot on it said some were a little bit different but it shows clips of like uh, mobile devices he referred to as wallet PCs which let you get messages and make you know the contactless payments. Um, he described it as a grown-up pager. Of course, that's a little off because he talked about it being using infrared and it uses near-field communication tech instead. But oh, well, I know. Well, God, so much for that. Get Jeez. it right. But um, so, getting the messages, seeing the latest news, seeing different locations, keeping track of your schedule, keeping pictures, uh, you know, stored there, and and things like that are uh, possible with this technology. He said. Um, he also show, it also showed how police officers could see maps and talk to their chief in a live video. Hello, Zoom, um, and and see different you know a bunch of different maps. Uh, and then in, in a home setting, it showed a woman changing between channels and watching whatever she wanted whenever she wanted instead of relying on TV schedules, which obviously we can do that now. Um, and then it, it, it she also joked in the video, "Ha ha, I'm on a." I'm on a conference call, but I have on my slippers or my pajamas because they can't see my lower half. There's Zoom again. Uh-huh. So just this was in 94. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he pretty much hit the nail. I mean, besides some things that he called different, that he named differently or whatever, or referred to as different things that we, you know. But he was he was pretty much right on. And as far as the going to, back to the uh, cars, the EV cars, Paul had something interesting that he emailed yesterday. There, he looked it up. There are 3,765 public charging ports in Washington State, and fewer Whoa. than 800 charging stations in Seattle. They've got 13 years because this is a plan to bring the infrastructure up to speed. It costs about 2,000 to have a charging station installed in your home. So he's like, "What hmm. about people who live in apartments or rural areas?" Yeah, hmm. you know. Yeah. So that might be a little problematic. Yeah, to Gates, do it that as fast as they're planning. Gates kept talking about the information superhighway. Mm-hmm. That was a little bit off. Now it's just known as the internet. <laughs> or the Thank interweb, as right. we like to say. <laughs> you know, I yeah. I did not print this story off because it was too long. Um, and Wes has a story about aliens and um, scientists. This piece was from the U.S. version of The Sun which began in England, and it is a tabloidian-type newspaper that tends to get a little bit overly... uh, They just... They get hypey and dramatic and, well, you know, Mm tabloid-like. The story, though, was about the release of all kind of information, pictures and pages and pages of info that, that the Pentagon had to release. The Sun claimed that they had the right to demand this material about UFOs and about aliens and such. The, the content in the story, though, was staggering, wasn't it? It was, yeah, um, it was huge. I looked at it, and like you, I thought, this, there, there's way too much here to try to print yeah. and save. But uh, there, was, there were things about, um, about human interaction with aliens, 
Um, people got pregnant in some cases and didn't know why, but it was believable. And the only kind of a, this, just the question mark was, this is the sun. But then again, they had pictures of uh, various senators and stuff who had worked on this, like Harry Reid, and it seemed to be legit. But there's not a word about this in any other news site online, nor on television. It was really, really long. But if you want to find it, uh, it was in the U.S. Sun, S-U-N. Mm -hmm. And the story described a bunch of things, interactions that we have had, allegedly, with people from outer space. Which yeah, sounds these, like something, you know, we, I, I, it was yeah, just well, strange. The, uh, the, these are just in, encounters and incidents and weird things that people reported. And the Pentagon apparently just gathered yeah. all of these reports and, you know, collated them and made them boring in the way that governments make things boring like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that, that's why it, it appears very serious and uh, above board. And it took up, but it still took a Freedom of Information request to uh, get exactly. this stuff out. And they got it done over four yeah. years' time. So maybe this will be in the mainstream news. Somehow, I doubt it. Because it probably scares people or they, they, they just go, you know, whatever. And they roll their eyes. Mm. Anyway, we'll cover this thing. Scientists make a message to send to uh, the aliens telling them where we are. Ignoring Stephen Hawking's warning. Well, what is that story in summary while we're here? Uh, Stephen Hawking said, you know, that's probably a bad idea because anyone who can get that message and come here is probably going to be a lot more powerful than us and might view us the way the Spanish viewed the Mayan. And make us go away? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Vanish? Yeah. Just vanish. Hmm. I'm all for it. Do it today. It's fine with me. <laughs> it's fine with me. Right, but leave, leave Wes and me out of it. Well, if we go, it'll be in one fell swoop. It'll be a yeah. little, you know... One little sound and whoosh, we're gone. All right, Wesley has a interesting headline. Let's see how the, what the story says. There exists a monument in Georgia with instructions in eight different languages about what to do, how to rebuild, if the world ends tomorrow or yes. today. And it might. <laughs> it Let's, could. There's that Fingers chance. crossed. All Obviously, right. these people thought so. And I've never heard of this until just like yesterday, but they've been around since the 80s. These are the oh. Georgia Guidestones, and they're these five 16-feet-tall granite walls built on this you know, hill in uh, Georgia. And there's a 25,000-pound capstone on top of them to keep everything in place. And they've got inscribed on the rocks these instructions for rebuilding a society after an apocalypse. They're carved in there in Russian, English, Spanish, Babylonian cuneiform, classical Greek, Egyptian hieroglyphs, Sanskrit, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, and Arabic. Wow. Just because I guess yeah. these people were hedging their bets about which language would most likely survive if there was some massive apocalypse. And... This is set up there. The story, the backstory, is just as fascinating as their existence. This it goes back to like 1979 when this guy who called himself Robert C. Christian, but admitted that's a pseudonym, that's not my real name. He went to the Elberton Granite Finishing Company and said he was representing a small group of loyal Americans intent on installing a complex stone monument, and. 
he told this guy who then these people dismissed him at first as just a kook but he was able to produce ten thousand dollars i guess in cash for earnest money and the details of what he wanted he said he picked the area because it had the finest granite in the world and the contract with this company that made it included a lifetime nda non-disclosure agreement and the destruction of all documents related to the sale and construction of this thing once the thing was complete he paid the owner of the land uh, for the site and included lifetime cattle rights on there so it's there's no not going to be any dispute about who owns the land that this thing sits on and this guy christian left once the work started no one saw him again the only communication he had with the company was by mail that he always sent from a different location and so they were serious about the secrecy of what year was this this started in 1979 and hmm. the construction was completed in 1980 or 81 and they have hmm. been there ever since Hmm. And there's this, the middle stone has this eye level hole drilled in it so that the North Star is always visible. This guy who built it had to construct an astronomer and land surveyors to get everything just right about it. And there's also the slot that's always aligned with the sun solstices and equinoxes. And then those uh, upright wing slabs have the instructions that, uh, how to rebuild the society. And it's, it's not like technical instructions on how to construct a water wheel or a steam engine or something like that. It's their points of guidance. And uh, hmm. I've got them here. They are, it's very interesting what they thought was important. Their first one on here says, maintain humanity under 500 million people in perpetual balance with nature. The second one is guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity, unite humanity with a living new language, Rule passion, hmm. faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. That's good advice. <laughs> Balance personal rights with social duties. Uh, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. And be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. That's repeated on this And no one knows who this guy was no, to this no day. One's, no one's sure. There's a, I found one story when I was you know, looking over different stories about this where someone allegedly tracked this guy down, but he's dead. And But the this guy's source was the guy who this Robert Christian approached who owned the Granite Company or worked with him at the Granite Company who suffered a stroke. So how reliable that guy's uh, words are at, at this point is questionable. But otherwise, yeah, no, no one knows. Uh, and I guess it was 1979. The Cold War was still going strong. The threat of nuclear annihilation was still a, a real possibility. And this, they thought that these granite monuments would withstand any uh, any such nuclear war. I guess it's in this part of Georgia that maybe doesn't have any, uh, I don't know, high-priority nuclear targets uh, nearby. So it could withstand the radiation, and it isn't close enough to be knocked over by a blast. Nobody would miss Atlanta. Well, and well and, but this this is pretty far away from Atlanta, apparently. So, this this is just bizarre, and I had, I yeah. don't know why or how I had never heard of this thing before. I, had, but, I know yeah. that's really weird. That's it's unusual. It what is it's a lot of, so so this guy uh, had all these plans, but it didn't have a comeback plan for himself when he died. Unfortunate. Well, I guess that wasn't his priority. His priority was leaving some kind of legacy for humanity to rebuild itself. 
I'm surprised uh, this hasn't been discussed on Nat Geo or something. I, I really yeah. am. I'm, I'm surprised there's not some kind of documentary about it going you know, more in depth or at least about it. Because, and of course, at the time, there was a lot of controversy about it because people were saying, were saying that, uh, well, obviously it's going to be pagan and people are going to come and do blood sacrifices well, and stuff sure. there, which has not happened so far as you know, I know. Well, and my question is, is Georgia going to tell everybody else so we know what to do? <laughs> wow. Allie's getting yelled at. Well, I guess the word is spread. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was it was a big deal then, apparently, and it's still standing. I don't know. Some kind of open secret. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. What was the population uh, suggestion? Uh, 500 million. Because right now it's 7.9 billion. Billion. I just looked right. it up. <laughs> A new research piece published last week in Advanced Functional Materials, I subscribe, refers to a magnetic slime robot, a dark-colored, goo-like blob that can move through tight spaces and grasp small objects in its path when magnets are applied to the outside of it. It can also repair itself when cut in two. Hmm. It's like venom or flubber come to life says one website. It is destined for use in our bodies. Magnetic miniature soft-bodied robots allow this access that is non-invasive to areas that are very tight um, and the doctors, I guess, and tools can't get to. And it provides a great answer for minimally invasive surgery, micro-manipulation, and targeted drug delivery. Sounds brilliant to me. Uh, this yeah. comes from the Chinese, of course. Uh, the new non-Newtonian fluid-based magnetically actuated slime robot, as they call it. But somebody, of course, had to, had to add the word turd to it because it <laughs> looks like a small, well, piece of poop. Um, it's already been shown to retrieve a battery uh, in someone's stomach. Wow. They're trying to figure out how this thing works, but it can someday be used in our bodies for various reasons. I guess that this thing with, with the stomach was a test, uh, but the safety would strongly depend on, on how long you keep them inside your body. But the picture of it is of a horseshoe-shaped little licorice piece of looking goo. And so we'll see how the magnetic turd which was done by smart people and doctors and named something turd by morons around the world so um there it is the magnetic turd in the news this is kind of cool um this is about foods uh, french fries aren't french and other deceptively named foods for your eating entertainment okay french fries aren't french Swiss steak isn't Swiss, and Mongolian uh, barbecue is not Mongolian, or for that matter, barbecue. So here are some of the things that they have pointed out. Bombay duck, not a duck, a kind of fish. Also oh. called bombi, bumalo, or lizard fish, eaten both fresh and dried. All right. Huh. Cape Cod turkey, another example of seafood masquerading as poultry. Cape Cod Turkey is a humorous New England name for salt cod made with potatoes and garnished with hard-boiled eggs and crumbled bacon. 
That would gag a maggot, it Yuck. sounds like to me. Uh, duck sauce. Meat sauce is made with meat and tomato sauce, not ducks. Uh, duck sauce <laughs> is not made with duck. I've heard it's a sweet that. and sour fruit based condiment, either brown or orange in color, served in Chinese restaurants or in takeout, and you probably have had it before. An egg cream, very popular in New York, an old style thing from Brooklyn and all but unknown outside of New York. A soda fountain beverage, a blend of milk, seltzer, and chocolate syrup. No eggs and no cream are involved, although it's called an egg cream. English muffins. I eat one of these every morning. Love not muffins uh, in any form at all. They're English only because they were invented by an English immigrant to the U.S. They're a companion piece kind of to crumpets, which are leavened griddle cakes with porous tops. But the idea came from a baker in 1880 in New York to turn these crumpet-like rolls that could be split and toasted rather than eaten whole like they're, like these other things that they came from. Uh, French dressing is uh, it's a it's a dressing, a vinaigrette, an emulsion of oil and vinegar with mustard and sometimes shallots, garlic, or herbs added. It is distantly, it's not really French at all, um, but it's called French dressing and no one knows why. French fries, fried potatoes. When we call them French, we're almost certainly making a, it's, they're not from France. They were reportedly born in France's neighbor, Belgium, hmm. where they go back as far as the late 1600s. McDonald's had them back then in Belgium only. <laughs> Belgium Geo duck. Not a duck. It's a giant clam from the Pacific Northwest with a comparatively small shell and a large external neck forming its edible meat. Geo is not pronounced in the usual fashion. It's pronounced gooey. So it's gooey duck. Okay. Head cheese. Talk about gaga maggot. Yikes. (laughs) There is no cheese in head cheese. It's a kind of chunky pate made with bits of savory meat from various portions of a pig's head bound with gelatin. Give me more of that. So at least there are real heads in it then. Yeah, pig heads, pig brains. Jerusalem artichoke. Never heard of that. This delicious underrated vegetable is not an artichoke and has nothing to do with Jerusalem. They're also called sunchokes. They're a knobby root. With a sweet, nutty flavor, uh, they taste a bit like artichoke hearts, which are great. The plant is is uh, part of the sunflower uh, family, and Jerusalem hmm. is a corruption of G-I-R-A-S-O-L-E, Girasole in Italian. Well, the things you learn. Mongolian barbecue, made to order a mix of various meats and vegetables. Stir-fried on a griddle is neither Mongolian nor barbecue. Came from Taiwan. So, why they call it that, who knows. Plum pudding, this dense, moist, fruitcake-like confection that looks really gross in this picture, uh, is a holiday thing. It contains no plums. In earlier times, the word plum referred to any dried fruit. Not only prunes, but things like raisins and such, which are what goes into the pudding today. I'll have to pass. Prairie oysters. Seafood lovers, it says, stand down. These oysters are actually animal testicles. 
Uh, from a bowl usually, but they're uh, they they're served everywhere. Yeah, uh, they come from sheep, bison, or other animals. A dish from cowboy days. These testicles oh. were cooked on a branding iron or on the coals used to heat the iron, but evolved into a more uh, delicate thing. But there's still somebody's balls. <laughs> I don't care. Pass. Prairie should have been a clue. If that's but, the last food on earth, uh. Uh-uh. I ate, I ate some of those unknowingly one time, like in that movie Funny Farm with uh, Chevy Chase when he breaks the record in that bar. <laughs> yeah. He eats like yeah. 30 uh-huh. of them and then... What does uh, it, it taste it does, like? Uh, balls. It that tastes like chicken. fried... It tastes like... It's battered and fried and it tastes like, I don't know, nothing really. doesn't oh. taste like somebody's nuts that I know of. I have, <laughs> like I've never had anybody's nuts before, so I don't know. Uh Puppy chow. No, it's not. <laughs> what in the world? Are we on the air still? Uh, puppy I, chow. Uh, no, it's not dog food. Puppy chow is a sugary snack popular around the holidays. Never heard of it before. Me either. Made by coating one or more uh, kinds of Chex mix with melted chocolate, butter, and peanut butter. Yum. And you dust the whole thing with sugar. That sounds like it's really good for mm. you. It's also sometimes called monkey munch. <laughs> or, <laughs> okay. A lot of jokes there. Or reindeer chow. Uh, Rocky Mountain oysters. That's again some testicles of a bowl. Uh-huh. Uh, sliced, breaded, and deep fried. So if you have a testicle fetish, you're in. Russian dressing ain't from Russia. Scotch woodcock. A small, very strongly flavored game bird. And no avian creatures are harmed for this creation. It's simply soft scrambled eggs on toast and topped with anchovies. Again, that would yeah. gag a maggot. Swiss steak is not from Switzerland. It's a kind of steak made by tenderizing a tough cut of meat through rolling or pounding, then braising it in sauce. The Swiss have never heard of it. <laughs> uh-huh. They're busy eating somebody's testicles. Uh, so you're welcome. Uh, for that lesson in that. Is gardening really cheaper than buying fruits and vegetables? Um, I have said before, now Sid has already planted some stuff this year, and um, I spent a decade ago or more um, building a really big above-ground you know, garden uh, right. with, you know, huge. And had had visions of having all of this fresh food and you know nurtured it and kept the squirrels away the one key to 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 a gardening outside if you have squirrels this is not a joke is to pee around the garden <laughs> yeah urine keeps yeah. squirrels away from your stuff so after about 2 years of this um in which you learn what things are easy to grow that would be uh, cucumbers Peppers, it's hard to mess that up, and and uh, tomatoes. But mm-hmm. then it hits you with all this work and time that right up the street at the grocery store, <laughs> they have these items fully formed and ready to Not buy. the same. Um, yeah, it is the same. Uh, <laughs> but if you enjoy the torture of it, and people have gardened for hundreds of years, if you find joy in that, go for it, uh, if you have time to do it. What does this, this uh, story say, Wesley? Well, uh, it's a look at the value in gardening uh, 
relative to just buying this stuff, as you said, right down the street. And it starts out the gardens themselves relatively cheap. Uh, there's the survey from the National Gardening Association said that most home gardens require about 70 bucks for an initial investment, which and that's seeds, soil, fertilizer, cages, covers, waters, tools, fences, if those are necessary. There's ongoing costs. There's the water for one. Uh, you'll have to deal with pesticides or other measures to protect your crops from all yep. of the hungry animals around yep. and breakage because uh, some are just going to die off from early weird frost or what have you. So you've got to consider also, it says, what you plant because all of this isn't going to do any good if you're planting stuff that grows wonderful but you don't want to eat it. Yep. So it also mentions the uh, time if this the there's a lot of work and care that's involved in this and time has a cost associated with it too so bear all of that in mind and then they they run down what crops are the most cost effective to grow in your typical backyard home garden right and these mm -hmm. include tomatoes uh oh, yeah. by the seedling will run you from about four to five dollars and you'll get at least eight pounds worth of tomatoes from that usually and saving about three bucks a pound Squash, it says they're not as productive as some crops, but they grow for a long time. Three bucks worth of seeds will get you about 10 pounds of, say, zucchini, as opposed to $1.50 in the store. And it, it mentions leaf lettuce, which can uh, have bi-monthly harvest, so a seed packet of three bucks, you'll get your money's worth from that. Green beans, another $3 seed packet generally, and the plants will cost about two bucks each, but you'll get... 50 to 60, they say, bean pods, as opposed to paying 2 to 250 per pound at the grocery store. Uh, herbs are real good. Berries are real good because fresh-picked fruit is pretty expensive. Uh, herbs are easy and fun, yeah. Yeah. Uh, pound pots of blueberries. on your deck or something, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, as for the berries, it says a pound of blueberries will run about 7 bucks, but you buy three blueberry bushes for about 30. You get about six pints of them from them every year. Raspberries kind of the same way. It's just you've got to go and you know keep them and go picking yourself. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. it's okra, raspberries. Yeah, okra, cucumber, kale are other three others that uh, make have are a good value uh, compared you know comparing the seed price and the upkeep price to uh, what you would have to pay for in the store. So bear that in mind. Those are the ones the that will get you the most. Bang for your buck, I guess. Kale, cucumbers, okra, berries, herbs, green beans, leaf lettuce, squash, and tomatoes. Those sound pretty easy, and um, some folks find that very calming and very nurturing and uh, have gardens and people that do that, and you see them all over the South, uh, you know, big ones and, you know, small ones. Um, Sid's already put in, because I guess February is the time to do uh, lettuce and cabbage and things like that. Yeah. Uh, it's not, yeah. it isn't time yet for tomatoes. It isn't hot enough. Um, my good friend, uh, up in Kentucky, uh, grows, uh, blueberries. I mean, uh, tons of, you know, of those things. So if you have the time and the sense of how to do it, you know, properly, um, it's gratifying, but if you have a you know, busy life and if you have a backyard full of wildlife, deer ate a bunch of my stuff, um, and the, those gosh damn squirrels, oh, uh, Evil. That's got to drive you crazy. It's, yeah. Well, it, just—I mean—you do all this work and put in the right soil, and you do all the right things, and they then they eat them. Um, that's not helpful. Uh, eating this one food twice a week, and you probably can't grow these around here. Avocados. 
this has been uh, been in the news and been discussed for a long, long time. And this does not mean eating a bunch of dip with Doritos. Just because the dip is green and full of avocados, <laughs> that isn't the point. Eating avocado twice a week cuts your risk of heart disease tremendously, says this new study. Um, I eat the entire thing. I eat them about, well, a lot. I, I just, you know, peel them off and just eat it down to the, to the pit in the middle of it. The American Heart people did the survey of about, um, well, thousands of women and men, women especially, uh, on their diets every four years over a 30-year period. Uh, that's a long time. Uh, over the course of that time, uh, they recorded 9,000 heart attacks and 5,000 strokes. And the link, link between that, um, eating healthy fats and heart health, found that those who ate avocado frequently slashed their risk of heart disease by 21%, as opposed to those who did not. Uh, replacing half a serving per day of margarine, butter, egg, yogurt, cheese, processed meats with an avocado or something like it lowers your risk of heart disease tremendously. They have dietary fiber, key vitamins and minerals like C, E, K, and magnesium. So there's just one little health tip because we're just trying to help you out. There you go. Uh, quickly, a few things. Both of y'all, I believe, had this story. Uh, Sid did. Libraries are more popular than ever, even as people borrow fewer books. Who had this story? One of y'all did. I do. Okay, what's the deal and why are they popular? I'm guessing because of computer access. Well, yes, and other th ways to read and check out books and entertainment and events. This analytics group looked at seventeen over 17,000 libraries over the last three decades, actually, and found out they're not dying in the digital age because they're actually, well, because they're thriving. Even though they've dropped by 21% in the United States since 2009, more people are borrowing books because they can check them out, if you will, digitally um the report from 1992 to 2009 found that library collections are bigger and more and more digital than ever before with over 58 percent of books book selections now being available online overall i did not know that i'll be damned i didn't either overall library collections are bigger and more diverse than ever growing by 113 percent since 2009 uh just 10 years ago 98 percent of material in a library were physical books, magazines, newspapers, video, or audio tapes. By three years, in 2019, though, that number is just 45% as they just go more and more to ebooks. So, they also no, so, so uh, I guess the, the point is, in lieu of having to go to the library and check something out, you can, you can, can, can put it on your phone or your iPad or your nook, or all that stuff, right? Is that what it means? Yeah, I guess you can go to the... I would have to ask my library director friend, Keenan McCloy, but um, you could... Uh, it's It might be going to the library website or app and getting it that way. Um, the The study finds that communities, you know, are also use library spaces for local programs more and more, for your kids, 
young adults, people of all ages, one in every 10 people visiting the library are now doing so to attend a local program. Um, overall, 125 right. million Americans attended library programs in 2019. That's almost double the number in 2004 and over 23% more than in 2014. And libraries are not funded by the government like people might think. Operating expenses, donations, grants, fines, and fees. something smart, please. <laughs> I know, right? Donations and fines and grants and fees. And uh, the, the study finds libraries actually have a $17.05 billion budget surplus. Hmm. So, nice. of course, That's right. Yeah. So, um, it's, which is really good since it's never been more expensive to run a library than today, it says. <laughs> that's, that, that is great news. For yeah. the, That's just great news. Wes, what do you have to share this break before we break? You are teasing robotic stuff, so I'm going to set the yeah. stage for that for the next break with a cyborg sort of thing. There was this guy who was completely paralyzed. He was locked in. He, for a while, could move his eyes, but a couple of months ago, he couldn't even move his eyes anymore. Just completely locked in his own body, unable to communicate. Uh, before he lost the ability to move his eyes, they communicated with him to ask consent for, to put a brain implant in him that was kind of a experimental thing to see if they could use that or he could use that to communicate with the outside world. So that happened, and he got two square electroid arrays surgically implanted into his brain, and that was to facilitate the communication. And... He uh, finally got over the surgery and started you know, learning how to work this thing, was guided and helped, and he was able to com start composing sentences at a rate of one character per minute. And the first thing he asked for was a beer. <laughs> oh, I love him. <laughs> he also wanted to listen to the band Tool Loud, it says. Requested Jeez. a head massage and er right. ordered curry. And he did all of this without being able to move any muscles in his body, not even his eyes. And they hadn't, this was the first time they've tried a brain implant like this on a completely locked in patient. They've done it with other people uh, to make, uh, make them able to communicate with what limited use of muscle, muscle use that they had. They uh, referenced in the story, Dr. Stephen Hawking could control like one muscle in his cheek. And yeah. that's what he used to do everything with, with one wow. of these things. But this is, uh, it took a couple of uh, tries actually to get the right uh, setup in his, in his head to make this work, but it works. And now they're uh, trying to get a, uh, get some more funding to do some more of this and uh, stretch out with this because people with uh, LAS sometimes get locked in like this dude did. And yeah. they're just, you know, stuck there in their head, can't communicate mm -hmm. at all, staring at whatever someone has posed them into a position to stare at. A fate worse than death. Um, any observations or inside poop on what kind of beer he asked for <laughs> to further gauge what kind of man he is? That did not come up, oddly. That would have been a great commercial opportunity for whatever company he asked for. Maybe, maybe at this point he wasn't picky. Some people will recall this and some will not. I believe this was when I lived in Louisville still. Uh, the first heart transplant patient, I believe, that survived was a man named Barney Clark. And I don't know where I pulled this out of my brain, but they did this transplant on this man in Louisville. And uh, just a good old boy. And when he came to and was alive, 
he asked for a Coors beer. That was his first request. Barney Clark. Yeah. That, that must That's have crazy. been 40 years ago. That. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he was one of the first to have a heart transplant that worked. But it didn't work for very long, as I recall, two or three years. But, um, yeah. So that shows you how we are. You wake up in a coma, you can't move or speak, but you want to hear a, hear some tool and have a, have a beer. That's, <laughs> right. Make that's a, a beautiful thing, man. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> it is amazing. All right, good. All right. Uh, uh, where did I? There's so many things on my page here. Uh, if you are in pain, sometimes you go to the dentist or you go to the, or you're being being cut on or whatever. You have a, a bad accident. Uh, pain medications help. Also, cussing like the championship cusser that you know you are eases your pain. You're encouraged to shout the S word, the F word, and whatever else you want to because it helps ease the pain. I don't know for how long and for how long they'll put up with it, uh, but this doctor from someplace says that swearing is drug-free, it's calorie-free, cost-free, and the side effects don't exist, so why not try it? Uh, in tests, people who swore when their hand was put in a bucket of ice withstood the agony for 40 seconds longer. How about that? <laughs> uh, the S word and the F word were used by many of those to good effect. Um, it's the most powerful drug, maybe, used by mankind. Uh, but embrace the swearing if you need to, if you really, really are in pain. Um, it won't last forever. Because people won't tolerate that usually in a hospital or in someone's office, but uh, cussing seems to help. So knock yourself out. Some more dumbasses of the day. These both involve fast food restaurants and idiots that call nine one one for the wrong reasons. Some people just don't understand that nine one one is not for everything that happens bad to you. This is a line where you, if you need help. From the police or an ambulance or a fire truck. Do not call them if your chicken nugget order is wrong. Dumbasses. Lisa Castro called to report being, quote, upset because she only got four pieces of chicken in the eight piece that she ordered. <laughs> and she was pissed and they would not give her the rest of her dang chicken. Ms. Castro, who is 60-ish and a little bit grumpy, I'm guessing, mm -hmm. lives about two miles away from the KFC, uh, and she went there to get her some eight, eight, uh, eight uh, tenders and got only four. And she was teed off, and she called the police, and she said, uh, we are here to serve the public, uh, but your chicken issue is not our problem. Goodbye, madam. Don't call here again. <laughs> call in 911 over freaking chicken. Good God. Um, <laughs> this boy here is in good shape. Nice mugshot, too, Holmes. Man groped drive through worker at McDonald's in Pennsylvania. It was early in the morning after midnight. Mickey D's is open, and he and his bud walked up to the window. Always a good sign. And he began to flirt with the girl in the window. Offered to come by and grab her up after she was off work for a date. She ignored him. That's a shock. 
Before he left, he would shut and he grabbed her breast. Bad decision, bro. Uh, they called 911. The police appear and they found this a wipe at uh, a bar nearby where he was still having some cocktails and locked his ass up on an, uh, on some kind of assault, public drunk harassment, and just being a jerk. He was freed on bond and probably woke up. He told the cop, yep, I'm a ladies' man. That girl <laughs> over there wants me. I'm slamming right. the double doors of the drive-in window on his arm and breaking it. That's well, ten times. Not a great he, thing to do at a place that has access to hot cooking grease. Yep. No, aren't you a door to slam on your hand, which she should have done, just like Sid just said. But this moron who just who just looks the part. Sometimes you can judge a face by just by seeing it. Yep, you're a douche. Thank you for for playing along. Wes, do you have one more of these dummies? Yes, and we're going to carry on with the same fast food theme. This is a very simple rule that a lot of people ignore, but uh, you know, eating at the wheel while you're driving is generally a bad idea, especially when it's KFC. This is a story that uh, happened uh, not too long ago. This woman named uh, Anna had just brought some KFC, and she was headed back to work at this gym where she's a manager. And so she apparently started munching on this KFC, and a customer who was at the drive-thru behind her saw her uh, suddenly drift to the other side of the road, where she hit an oncoming taxi head-on. Oh my gosh. Taxi driver, is, uh, his cab took the full force of the impact, and he says he recalled hearing a huge bang and then feeling pain and looking down and saw that he was bleeding heavily. There's another motorist who veered out of the way and says she saw a car going up in the air in her rearview mirror Damn. and said, I was in total shock. If I hadn't taken the action I did, it would have hit me. Uh, so she, this uh, woman, Anna, was taken to the Royal Stoke University Hospital where she died the following day from traumatic brain injury oh because she couldn't wait to dig into some KFC. Oh my so my advice, wait before you dig into the KFC and you might live to enjoy it. Plus, even if you don't have a wreck, you make such a mess in your seat. There's no say. way oh, to yeah. eat that chicken uh, in the car. Not that, not that, I've, no. I've, I've done it. It's stupid, but um, yeah, it's not a very good idea. Um, I just... What? If you're about to even go two inches over a line with food, you throw the food down and put your hands on the wheel. Real, I mean, come on, people. That's awful. Well, it's just, it's not going to ever change. It's just a world full of stupidity that's getting worse. We have to just rely on the smart ones to help carry us through. I have no idea. I kept this this story that is uh, the this headline, Learning Good Lessons from Bad People which plays in maybe to the recent dumbasses we just did. Mm -hmm. Well, most people, and I suppose we have to remind ourselves of this, are good and generous. Some are real, unrepentant, unfixable jerks. Why this matters, a good hack for your life and for being a leader in your home, in your family, in your job. Observe the jerks. The ones who do the wrong things for the wrong reasons and do the opposite things, then after you find them, purge them from your life. There you go. It's fine to be inspired by acts of heroism or actions, but many of uh, our great memories often come from, with, to, from just seeing a baffling or bad bit of human behavior. Uh, 
the truisms that guide our philosophy. Badness trickles down fast. Any bad habit in a group or company can be traced to somebody at the very top. And isn't that the absolute truth, having lived it? You see it at schools and jobs and on sports teams. They should be excised. Because they're usually, you know, sociopaths and they can talk their way out of anything and lie with no conscience. That's why they sometimes survive. Bad habits are insanely contagious. Uh, talking crap about your colleagues is one way to get fired immediately because it spreads among the troops. And boy, isn't that the truth. Mm -hmm. As is this third one. Behind most bad behavior lurks deep insecurity. Beware of those who surround themselves with people with bad characters or limited talent. This flows from insecurity. Ding, 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 ding yeah. again. Don't be a delusional about our species. It is tempting to try to see a path for somebody who is routinely selfish or petty or untrustworthy to change. Most fully formed of us are in these long patterns. They don't change. Run now. Um, and just, you know, they, they, they refer to the, a, a person here in their company who has, um, who is one of their most important people and uh, the things that she looks for in spotting problematic people in the workplace or in life. A lack of humility, a lack of being authentic, favoring personal ambition over the greater good, taking yourself too seriously, because in most cases, nobody cares. Mm -hmm. You're kidding yourself. The big picture, good bosses, company and friends are everywhere. Live in perpetual pursuit of them and purge the rest. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, there's your words to live by. <laughs> this is Drake Digital.